0: Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with me, but you'd get slapped with a diagnosis of algorithmophobia if you said you feared listening to this week's show. Artificial intelligence for nonprofits. We take a break from our 23 NTC coverage as an esteemed tech savvy panel considers the opportunities, downsides, potential risks, and leadership responsibilities around the use of artificial intelligence by nonprofits. There are Afua Bruce at ANB Advisory Group, LLC. Allison Fine at every.org. Beth Cantor. Bethcantor.org and George Weiner at Whole Whale. On Tony's Take Two, a Give Butter webinar, we're sponsored by DonorBox. With intuitive fundraising software from DonorBox, your donors give four times faster, helping you help others. DonorBox.org. Here is Artificial Intelligence for Nonprofits. In November 2022, ChatGPT was released by the company OpenAI. They're more powerful, maybe smarter. GPT4 was released just four months later, in March this year. The technology is moving fast, and there are lots of other platforms, like Microsoft's Azure AI. I guess the sky's the limit. There's Google's Help Me Write and DALI also by OpenAI Creates Images, so artificial intelligence can chat and converse, answer questions, do search, draw and illustrate, and write. There are also apps that compose music, create video, and code in computer languages. A team at UT Austin claims their AI can translate brain activity into words, that is, read minds and I'm probably leaving things out. What's in it for nonprofits? What are we risking? Where are we headed? These are the questions for our esteemed panel. Afua Bruce is a leading public interest technologist who works at the intersection of technology, policy and society. She's principal of ANB, Alpha November Bravo, advisory group, LLC a consulting firm that supports organizations developing, implementing, or funding responsible data and technology. She's on Twitter at afua underscore Bruce. Alison Fine is a force in the realm of technology for social good as president of every.org. She heads a movement of generosity and philanthropy that ignites a profound transformation in communities. You'll find Allison Fine on LinkedIn. Beth Cantor is a recognized thought leader and trainer in digital transformation and well-being in the nonprofit workplace. She was named one of the most influential women in technology by Fast Company and is a recipient of the N10 Lifetime Achievement Award. She's at bethcantor.org. George Weiner is CEO of Whole Whale a social impact digital agency. The company is at wholewhale.com, and George is on LinkedIn. Welcome all, our esteemed panelists. Thanks, welcome to Nonprofit Radio. We're gonna start just big picture. Uh, Afua, I'd like to start with you. Just what are you thinking about artificial intelligence?
1: That is a very big picture question. What am I thinking about artificial intelligence? I think um, there are lots of things to consider. I think first is um, all of the hype, right? We have heard article after article, whether or not we wanted to, I'm sure, about the, um, the promises and the potential of chat GPT, specifically generative AI more broadly um, as well. Uh, you think about some of the uh, uh, image-based AI solutions, generative AI solutions that are out there and that have been in the headlines recently. Of course, as someone who's uh, started their career off as a software engineer, I'm aware AI has been around for a while. And so sure, generative AI is a different type of application of AI, but it is building on something that has been both out in the world, developed for a while, pre-Chat GPT, most organizations are several companies just embedded AI into the tools you already use, whether it's Grammarly or something, embedding AI into their solutions. So what I'm thinking about now is how do we help organizations navigate uh, through all of the hype and figure out what's real, what's not real, um, recognize where they should lean in, recognize where they can take a pause before leaning in. And then, of course, underlying it all, how do we think about access? How do we think about equity? And how do we think about how embracing um, AI will uh, change or evolve jobs?
0: And please just define generative AI for us, so that everybody knows uh, what, what we're referring to, and we're all on the we're all on the same platform.
1: Sure. So, generative AI is where it is uh, essentially. Looking at a, a large model, uh, ChatGPT specifically uses a large language model, so lots of text, and uh, looks at that and then gives you what is statistically sort of the next uh, most reasonable or probable word uh, based on a prompt that you give it. So developing uh, the recommendations as you go along.
0: Allison, please. Yes. Yes, big picture.
2: Well, uh, Afua just said it beautifully that um, this isn't a brand new idea, although we are in the next chapter in terms of advanced digital technology. I think organizations, Tony, need to get their arms around this right now, AI, before AI gets its arms around them and their organizations. Beth and I started to look at AI about five years ago with support from the Gates Foundation, and the promise of it is that AI can eat up the rote tasks that are sucking the lifeblood out of so many nonprofit staffers. They are drowning in administrative um, uh, tasks and functions and requirements that AI can do very well. In fundraising, it might be um, researching prospects, taking the first cut at communications with donors, not sending it out, just taking the first cut, helping with workflow, uh, helping with coordination. Um, and The responsibility is for organizational leaders, not line people and not tech people, but organizational leaders to figure out where the sweet spot is, what we call co between what humans can do and need to do, connect with people, solve problems, build relationships, and what we want the tech to do, mainly rote tasks right now. So, understanding AI well enough, Tony, to figure out where it can um, solve what we call exquisite pain points and how to make that balance between humans and the technology is the foremost task for organizations right now. Beth? Great. So Allison and Afua said it so well. So
3: I'm just going to actually build on it, but go into a specific area that um, where that is kind of the intersection between AI and workplace well-being, and kind of the question, you know, will AI fix our work? <laughs> um, can it transform like uh, the work experience from being exhausting and overwhelming to one that brings more joy, <laughs> that allows us to get things done efficiently, but also to free up space to dream and. To To plan. Um, And, or is it going to be a dystopian future? I don't think so. Um, And by dystopian related to jobs, I'm talking about kind of, you know, we'll get rid of our jobs. (laughs) Like, who who will lose out? And um, I think just a week or two ago, the World Economic Forum released a report that predicts that nearly 25% of all jobs will change because of generative AI. And it'll have a uh, you know a pronounced impact by displacing and automating many job functions um, that involve uh, writing communicating and coordinating which is which are, are the things that G- chat GPT can do so much better than previous models um, but it'll also create the need for new jobs right I heard a new job description recently a prompt engineer <laughs> so somebody who knows how to ask the types of questions of chat GPT to get the right Right and most accurate and uh, high quality responses. And I think um, building on what uh, Allison said about cobotting, I think this is the future where uh, AI and humans are complementary, they're not in conflict. And it really provides a leadership opportunity to redesign our jobs and to rethink and re-engineer workflows so that we enable people to focus on the parts of the work that humans are particularly well suited for. Like relationship building, uh, decision making, empathy, creativity, and problem solving. And again, letting the machines do what they do best, but always having the humans be in charge. And again, that's why Allison and I always talk about this as a leadership issue, not a technical problem.
0: Leadership, right. Okay, we'll get to leader responsibilities. George, what are you thinking about AI?
4: Hard to add to such a, a complete start here, but I would say, that just because this is a fad doesn't mean that it's not also a foundational shift and the way we're going to need to do work and how leaders are going to have to respond. I also just want to say, like, right now, if you're listening to this podcast because your boss forwarded it to you, saying, we got to get on this, I understand the stress you're under. It is really tough, I think, right now to be in the operational layer of a nonprofit doing today's work, expecting to make tomorrow's change. So... Stick with us. We appreciate you listening.
0: Thank you, George. Like stepping into the co-host role, which uh, there the, is, which doesn't exist. So careful. What? What's your step? Let's stay with you, George. You, you and I have chatted a lot about this on LinkedIn. Uh, use cases. What? What? Uh, what are you seeing your clients doing with AI, or what are you? What are you advising that they explore as they're um, as they're also managing the, the, the stresses that you just mentioned?
4: Well, right now we're actively custom building uh, AIs based on the, the data voice and purpose of organizations that we work with. One of the concerns that I have is that when you wander on to a blank slate tool like OpenAI, Anthropic, Bard, you name it, You're getting the generic average, as Afua pointed out, the generic average of that large language model, which means you're going to come off being generic. And so we're a little concerned about that and are trying to focus our weight on how you tune your prompt engineering toward the purpose of the organization. We've already mentioned grant writing, reporting, applications, emails, appeals, customization, social posts, blog posts, editing. It is all there if you're using it the right way, I think.
0: And that gets to uh, the, the idea of uh, the prompt engineer too that, uh, that Beth mentioned, what, what you're, so avoiding that generic average with sophisticated prompts. George? Is that- Absolutely.
4: Yeah, I mean, we jokingly call it the gray jacket problem, where I showed up to a conference and I was wearing the same gray jacket as another presenter, and I was like, we both walked into a store and we both thought that the beautiful gray jacket we put on was unique and that we would be seen as such for picking out such a great jacket. When in fact, when you go in to a generic store and get a generic thing, you get a generic output. And my concern is that without that leadership presence saying, "Hey," here's how we should be using this with our brand, tone, voice, and purpose that every single new hire out of college, we're running into the social media game. Beth has already played this game. Allison, we've already played this game where we handed the intern the Twitter account because they used it in college. We're going to just replay that again and I'd rather just skip that chapter. Mm.
0: Mm. (laughs) Uh, And that, uh, we're going to get into this too, that that generic average also has biases and misinformation, false fat. Well, they're not false fat, false information. Um, Afua, how about you? What are you seeing uh, your clients or what are you advising usage wise?
1: A couple of things. So first, um, and I I think Allison touched on this as well, is that you can sort of take a breath. You don't have to embrace everything all the time for everything. I know it can seem right now that everyone's talking about generative AI and how it's going to change your world, um, but you can sort of take a breath because um, as I think Allison and Beth both mentioned, right, the technology is only good if it's working for our mission, if it's working for our organization. So really taking the time Um, as a leadership team to really um, be clear on what you want to do, what differentiates your organization and make sure your staff is all aligned on that is the the first thing that I um, advise organizations to do. The second is to think about then the use of AI, both to help your organization function and deliver its services out in the world, but then also to think about how it impacts your staff. And so I think sometimes we can get caught up in, we're going to use AI here, it's going to like you know, we'll be able to fix all of our external messaging. We'll be able to produce more reports. We'll be able to produce more um, grant applications. All good, all valid. But remember also your staff has to learn how to use it. Staff has to learn how to make their prompts. Your staff also has work internally that they are doing that perhaps AI could be used uh, to help speed up their task and free up their time and their brain space to lean into what humans do best, which is some of The relationships and having empathy. So thinking also, not just about how AI can help you uh, maybe generate more culturally appropriate images uh, for different campaigns around the world, or how generative AI can help you um, fine tune some messaging, or how generative AI can help um, you better sort of um, segment and deliver services to to your uh, communities that you serve, but also how you can use AI to do things like Help with notes, help with creating agendas, help with transcripts, and more. So, What are some of the internal things to really support your staff that you can can apply AI towards? Allison, that's leading right to
0: some of those rote tasks that that you mentioned. That's right. Um, So I'm going to put it to you in in terms that uh, Pearson Hill on LinkedIn asked, what's the best way for a busy nonprofit leader to use AI to maximize their limited time?
2: So people are looking for some magic solution here, Tony, and we hate to disappoint them, but <laughs> AI is not magic fairy dust to be sprinkled all over the organization. Uh, this is a profound shift in how work is done. It is not a new word processing you know, software. AI is going to be doing tasks that only people could do until just now. Right. Any other year going back, um, people would have had to be uh, screening resumes or writing those first drafts um, or, or, you know, uh, coordinating uh, internally. And now basically the bots are capable of doing it. But just because they're capable of doing it doesn't mean that you should, you know, unleash the bots uh, on your organization. Um our friend Nick Hamlin at Global Giving a data scientist said AI is hot sauce not ketchup. A little bit goes a long way. We Beth and I have been cautioning people to st- step very slowly and carefully into this space because you are affecting your people internally and your people externally, right? If a social service agency has always had somebody answering questions of when are we open and what am I eligible for and uh, when can I see somebody. And now a chatbot is doing that. Tony, you have to be really careful that, one, the chatbot is doing its job well, and, two, that the people outside don't feel so distant from that organization that it's not the same place anymore. So our recommendation is…
0: That's a a potential? I mean, it it could… The, the, I guess, mishandled, this could change the culture of an organization?
2: Absolutely. If you are on the outside and you're accustomed to talking to Sally who at the front desk and all of a sudden the organization says to you, your first step has to be talking to this chatbot online instead, the organization has solved uh, perhaps a, um, a staff issue of having to answer all these questions all at the same time but it's made the interaction with those clients and constituents much worse. So we need to first identify what is the pain point we're trying to solve with AI? Is AI the best solution for doing that? And then to step carefully in and and keep asking both staff and constituents, how is this making you feel, right? Do you still feel like you have agency here? Do you still feel like you are connected to people internally and externally? And to grow it from there. There is no rush to introduce AI in everything that you do all at once. There is a rush to understand what the impact of automation is on your organization.
0: It's time for a break. Stop the drop with DonorBox. Over 50,000 nonprofits in 96 countries use their online donation platform. Naturally, It's four times faster. Easy payment processing. There are no setup fees, no monthly fees. There's no contract. How many of your potential donors drop off before they finish making the donation on your website? Stop the drop. Stop that drop. DonorBox. Helping you help others. DonorBox.org. Now back to Artificial Intelligence for Nonprofits with Afua Bruce, Allison Fine, Beth Cantor, and George Weiner. Beth, I see you taking copious notes. I think, I think there's a lot you want to add.
3: Oh, there's so many good points made, and I was taking a lot of notes because, like, oh, where to jump in? Um, so, a couple of things. Uh, George said uh, we we did the social media thing, and we turned it over to the intern. Let's not do that again. But I'm not sure that's going to happen because with social media adoption, if we think back, uh, you know, the dawn of social media started in 2003. It really wasn't until six or seven years later, and I remember it quite distinctly <laughs> when the Chronicle of Philanthropy and organizations were really embracing it. They were. Was a lot of skepticism because social media adoption was more of a personal thing because it started as the individual. It wasn't immediately brought into the the workplace. Um, and I think Chat GPT will be a little bit different because the the benefit there is you know the sort of the allure of efficiency, saving time, right? And or it can help us raise more money. So I think we might see it develop more quickly in the workplace. And if nonprofit leaders are are Do smart adoption, then there'll be also be the 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 training uh, required and the retraining and the reskilling. And I think for me, the most important thing about this is that it is going to change the nature of our work. And that if you just let that happen, you're missing an opportunity because we have a chance to really kind of accelerate workplace learning, both you know formal and informal, to to reskill staff that. In a way to embrace this, that's not going to cause more stress and burnout. Uh, the the other thing I, I I was thinking about the gray jacket <laughs> and I love that um, metaphor, George. I I, I love it. Um, in that, you know, if, if nonprofits are turning to and buying the $20 a month subscription for Chat GPT, they're getting the gray jacket version and missing out on the opportunity to really train it. But on the other hand, are they, if they're just going without an organizational strategy, are they being trained in, are they put entering confidential information <laughs> into Chat GPT? Are they using their critical thinking skills? Because we know that uh Chat GPT can hallucinate and make up crap, right? Are they really, you know, are they are they doing that? that? that like, are they just saying, oh, write me a a thank you letter for this donor versus write me a thank you note in the tone of, in a conversational tone um, that recognizes this donor you know, quality, blah, 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 right? And um, and then go back and forth and refine a draft. So so there's a piece of like, um, uh, I guess, technical literacy that has to be learned. And that's like the technical problem. But then there's also this whole uh, workplace learning and workplace, um, uh, you know, re engineering of, of jobs and bringing in new jobs and different parts of descriptions that also uh, need to take uh, place as well. So, so we got to prepare the, the organization's culture uh, to adopt this in a way that is ethical and
0: responsible. George, you feeling better?
4: <laughs> I'm not sure how I felt to begin with, but the, mm. uh, the, the piece to add on as a nuance there is not just the generic output, but the normalization and ability for people to identify AI-created content is going to explode. What does that mean? If I were to show you a stock photo right now versus one I took on my phone, it would take you 0.5 seconds to be like, yep, stock photo, stock photo, Mm -hmm. stock photo. And we have all seen the appeals that go out with generic happy family with sunset in background. And I think what's going to happen is the text that is generated by folks that are using gray jacket, (laughs) GPTs, is that your audience is going to see it, identify it, and shut it down mentally it's like driving past that billboard or that banner ad it's going to be a wash it may seem unique to you but i think uh i think that's another Mm -hmm. thing that we're going to see happen i I just want folks to know uh,
0: okay i just want folks to know that that gray jacket is a real story you you and you and another guy did
4: show up with the exact same
0: jacket at
3: some it was an n10 conference wasn't it in new orleans (laughs) No.
4: <laughs> it it was uh, it was a fundraising uh, a fundraising conference and actually the other guy's name was George so there was two Georges two gray jackets I felt very um, silly. Yeah, Allison. Yeah.
2: So, um, the ultimate ROI, Beth and I feel, and we wrote about in the Smart Nonprofit, is what we call the dividend of time. That is to use AI to do those rote tasks that I talked about a few minutes ago in order to free up people to do human things. And George, the opportunity isn't, we hope, to send out more messages or to be, you know, continue down the transactional fundraising path. The opportunity is to use your time to get to know people and to tell them stories and to listen to them. So with or without AI, organizations stuck in that transactional hamster wheel, Tony, for raising money, and if they can't get out of that, AI is definitely not going to help them. The opportunity here is to move, move that entire model into the past and say, we're going to create a future where AI gives us the time and the space to be deeply relational with people. That's the opportunity.
0: Well, I'm going to come to you in a moment. Talk about how we can prevent the this uh, generic average, this gray jacket, uh, from taking over our 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 culture. But Allison, I just want to remind you that when I had you and Beth on the show to talk about your book, The Smart Nonprofit, I pushed back on the dividend of time because it feels like the the same promise that technology has given us through the decades. And I'm not feeling any more time available now than I did before I had my my smartphone or yeah. um, whatever whatever other technology I've adopted that was supposed to have yielded me yielded me great great time. I, I don't I don't feel any that was any, never any yeah. any greater time. I
2: don't believe that that was. The promise before, and certainly what we found with the last generation of digital tech, Tony, is that it made us always on and everything became very loud and very immediate, no question yeah. about it. And this next chapter in AI is not guaranteed to give us time. What we're saying is there's an opportunity to work differently and to create this time if leaders know how to use it well. That's the big if. If we're just going to sit back and say, let's AI supersize our transactional fundraising and send, send everybody 700 messages a day because that's worked so well, said very sarcastically, then no, it is not going to make us uh, any uh, free up any time. But what we are saying is this technology has the capacity to do all of that work that is sucking up 30 40% of our time a day, and we could be freed up, but only if we use it um smartly and strategically.
0: Fua, how about uh you know how we can help prevent the these generic averages with their uh, biases and marginalization of already marginalized voices you know how and and just from uh, the, the fear of taking over the institution's culture how how what are the methods to to prevent that?
1: Um so I think I would start with uh, an analogy that I've used before, that technology is not a naturally occurring resource. There's no like river of technology that we just walk down to and scoop up, and now we have technology, and it immediately nourishes us. To some of what Allison was just mentioning, um, in order to actually use AI effectively, it takes intentional management. It takes intentional decisions about how to use it, when to use it, and why to use it. And so that definitely applies when we think about how do we differentiate ourselves differentiate ourselves, even as we use AI, and also how do we make sure that we then are being intentionally inclusive. Um, I don't know of any technology that just by happenstance has been inclusive. Um, And so it requires intentional decisions. So some ways that bias can appear in generative AI systems are with some of the the coding that is done inherently with some of the data sets that are used even with large language models, they reflect um, right now everything on the internet. Um, I know a lot of great people on the internet There's a lot of things on the Internet that do not align with my values um, or even my actual lived experience. Um, And so how do we then think about sort of combating that? So I think, one, we've already touched on prompt engineering to make sure that we are asking it the things that we want to get back. If you ask ChatGPT, for example, um, to describe what... um, what are risks with chat with generative AI? It will give you one list. If you refine that prompt to include specifically, what are risks with chat with generative AI, including or specifically affecting women or people of color? It will give you a more refined uh, response. Chat GPT, if a month ago, if you asked it, um, the doctor and nurse were arguing because he was late, who was late, it would tell you the doctor was late. If you asked the same question, but said because she was late, it would tell you um, it was the nurse that was late that now has changed because the people who are programming ChatGPT GPT have manually made those changes. So then as we think about how we can use it, it is through um, some of the software that we're building on top of it, some of the plugins that you decide to take advantage of, to not take advantage of, how you might be able to use it on your own sort of pri- proprietary information with the right uh, parameters in place to keep it on your... Uh, keep it with your own data um, in ways that make sense for your organization there. Um, I think it's an opportunity for funders to uh, fund the creation of new data sets or fund the creation of some more responsible uh, plugins or fund um, you know new open source uh, developments as well. So I think that's an exciting play there. Um, And then I think also there is an opportunity to use chat GPT or sorry, generative AI in ways that really do enable more representation. Um, I was working with someone who is um, an advocate for women's rights in India. And we're talking through ways that she could uh, more quickly generate uh, posters and informational materials using generative AI for both images and text for uh, different places on the subcontinent that she couldn't physically get to um, and that she didn't have talent on the ground to get to. That is different, though, I'll say, from the announcement from Levi a couple of months ago that they were going to use chat or generative AI to create a diversity of models rather than hiring people or uh, BuzzFeed recently saying, you um in a shareholders meeting that they would use AI to help create authentic Black and Latino voices, presumably, um, instead of talking to actual authentic Blacks <laughs> and Latinos. <laughs> so um, they didn't issue a, a statement a day or two later saying, no, 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 that's not what we meant, we meant something else. Um, but But my point is, there are ways to think about how you can use generative AI as a nonprofit organization to better reach um, and connect, but also make sure that you are still doing it in a way, um, as I think all of us have said so far, that really does center people, that does center communities, and isn't trying to necessarily replace those
0: relationships. Beth, our our master trainer, uh, it, it, I, I see a need for training uh, for leaders, for 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 users. I mean, uh, I'm not seeing any of this happening now. I'm not seeing how to use you know uh, but is there a, is there a training issue here for for people at at, at all levels you're you're muted beth we're losing sorry we're sorry about content. that i didn't They're
3: want the ideas. back okay. absolutely yes but we i make a distinction between training and learning all right so training professional development formal ways of learning particular skills and those might be more around the uh, technology literacy liter- literacy skills, like you know, prompt engineering, for example. But then there is also the informal piece of learning, which is uh, informally uh, discussions with different teams about uh, how it's changed their job, right? Or, um, uh, or, or or reflecting on a job description or or job. Workflow that needs to be changed, and then sharing that with other departments. Um, so, the, you know, so there's kind of like workplace learning that um, is connected to the workplace culture. Um, and, and which in some ways has nothing to do with the technology. It's kind of like as a result of the technology, uh, what do we now have the possibility to do um, because we have this freed up time or because we have not spent so much time staring at a blank screen and not doing anything <laughs> because of blank screen syndrome. You know, ChatGPT has like helped us get to that first draft quicker and maybe Human editing has done the second and the third third draft, um, uh, and we've gotten a better um, result, um, and that has improved our uh, end results with our fundraising goals or whatever we're trying to accomplish. Um, you know what comes next. Um, so, so those are the pieces of learning that. Um, you know that haven't been possible a lot of times in nonprofits because we're so busy trying to get the stuff done on our to-do list <laughs> and, and or we're being overwhelmed. so um, so what, what is possible now that um, we're able to do our jobs better and we're able to take on these different tasks? How can we improve our, our results um,
0: and outcomes? George, how are you teaching uh, your, your clients who are hopefully translating that into learning about using, non, uh, using generative AI? Are you, are you talking directly to, to leaders? Are you, are you training users uh, on, on better uh, uh, like skills, like better prompting? How, how, what's, what does teaching training look like for you?
4: I mean, we've done our best to put out as much free content as possible, first and foremost, to try to you know, raise the tide of understanding for nonprofits. And we're putting all of that out as fast as I can think to create it. Internally, we're having weekly uh, training sessions on use cases for us. And we're actively building and improving on client custom-created GPT uh, endpoints that pull their data in and their purpose in. I want to go back, though, to Beth talking about what actually, you know, education on this f- looks like. And we could train you on how to swim over this podcast. We could talk about all the things you need to do. I'm like, I'm watching my daughter learn to swim. There's no storybook. There's no encyclopedia. There's no webinar that you could watch that would teach you how to swim. There is a fundamental component of this, of you jumping in the water and interacting with the tool, learning, coming back, realizing where it frankly lies to you as i'm really happy we've all pointed out (laughs) where it hallucinates where it's helpful and where the opportunities are and by the way that's gonna change next month and so it's not a single point in time and afua you know this You've, you've been an engineer for you know a while and seen it. it's like the you know the code you played with you know a month ago is just different tomorrow and what's possible is different tomorrow um on the other side of the coin, I'm a little concerned. You know, We have gone through, and maybe you're getting anxiety when you hear yet another tool, yet another tool. There's over 1,600 tools listed on just one site, futuretools.io, and there's going to be even more tomorrow. There are 95% of these things that are just going to be gone within a year. So I'm also cognizant of the rabbit-holing that can happen in this.
0: It's time for Tony's Take Two. I'm doing a Give Butter webinar later this month. Debunk the Top Five Myths of Planned Giving. I am especially excited about this one because the Give Butter host, Floyd Jones, and I are going to be together, co-located, face-to-face, person-to-person, in-person, real-time. So uh, the energy that he brings, and I try to keep things light and moving. I think we're going to have quite a bit of infotainment on uh, on this one with Give Butter. Uh, Debunk the top five myths of planned giving, and it's Wednesday, June fourteenth at two p.m. Eastern time. But you don't you don't need to be there. You can get the recording. If you can't make it live, watch archive. I used to say that on the show. Listen live or archive. Now it's just listen archive. No more live. But this is listen live or archive bona fide. Uh, If you want to make a reservation, you go to givebutter.com, then resources and resources and events. Very simple. So make the reservation. If you can join us live, that would be fun because I love to shout folks out and I'll answer your questions. If you can't, sign up and watch the video. It's all at givebutter.com, resources, and then events. That is Tony's take two. We've got the book who buttloads more time for artificial intelligence for nonprofits. I'd like to turn to some of the uh, some of the the downsides even more explicitly. So we're all talking about efficiency and and uh, the the time time saved, uh, the, the dividend of time, but um, at what cost? At what potential cost? Uh, Short term, long term. Um, we've already talked about you know there being a bias toward dominant voices that are. Existing dominant voices remaining dominant. For um, you had a great example of someone in 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 India, right? Trying to trying to represent folks that she can't get to see. So there, I mean, there's a potential upside, but you know, all this at at what uh, at what potential cost? And then there's we haven't even mentioned uh, we mentioned false information, but in in the video realm, deep fakes, video and audio deep fakes, photograph. Uh, Deep fakes. Who wants to? Who wants? To, uh, I, I'm, I'm being uh, an egalitarian now. Who wants to uh, launch us into the the risks and downsides part of the conversation?
2: I'm happy
1: to start. I'll say for the record, right. I am um, generally an optimist. However,
0: um, there okay. <laughs> there are some start things. Uh, yeah, uh, all right, uh, it's, uh, we've taken judicial notice.
1: Thank you, thank you. For the record, it has been noted. I appreciate that. Um, so, again, just reiterating what we've already said: intentionality really matters here. Without intentionality, um, things can go really wrong um, because generative AI has the ability to hallucinate, um, and because generative AI is reacting to what data already exists. Recognize that sometimes the things that you, decisions that we can make based on that could be really wrong. So um, if you can think through and imagine how AI might be used to help with hiring processes, Um, even with a more standard version of AI, for example, Amazon uh, a few years ago, uh, put some work into developing a system that would identify people who were best poised to be managers and succeed in senior management at Amazon. The results of the AI showed that white men from particular schools were best poised. Is this actually true based on skills? No, um, but it was based on um, the data that they had, which was trained on their internal data, which uh, showed uh, being a company in the Northwest. Uh, it just reflected what their practices had been and some of the things they changed. Uh, Amazon ended up not rolling that out because they had a human in the loop there that sort of looked at what was coming out and showed that and reviewed and determined, this is not actually in line with our values. It's not in line with, with what we're trying to do. Um, so I think uh, pushes to completely remove a human from that decision-making loop are ways that uh, generative AI can go really wrong very quickly in organizations. I think we've already started to talk about some of the bias that can appear in results. Um, Give the example already with gender that is true for um. Uh, along a number of other demographics as well. And so not correcting for that or recognizing even that even with um, these large language models, even with something that's trained on the internet, um, not everyone is represented there. And so making a lot of decisions based on what's there uh, may not give you and may not give you the most inclusive um, and equitable response that you want. So I think
0: those are two ways that this can go wrong. Allison, anything you want to you want to add to this? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so
2: the AI revolution is far bigger than ChatGPT and generative AI. Right? AI is going to be built into every software product that an organization buys in finance, in HR, in you know customer service, in development. Those products were created by programmers. Who are generally white men, and then trained on um, historic data sets, which, as Afua just mentioned, are deeply biased as well. So you have a double whammy that by the time the product gets to an organization, it has gender and racial bias baked right into it. This, again, is why it's a leadership problem, Tony, that we need organizations to know what to ask about these products, to ask, Uh, how it was um, built, what assumptions were made in building, and how it was tested for bias, how you can test for bias. Before that HR um, software program you just grabbed, threw into your mix, is screening out all of the black and brown people applying for these positions. So these are real everyday concerns about integrating AI um, into work and why we need to be Careful and strategic and thoughtful about how we're integrating it into organizations. Yeah, Beth, I, I really want to
3: um, pick up on a point that Afua made about um, uh, the concern about not having uh, human oversight <laughs> at all times. And one of, one of my uh, favorite examples of this um, comes from Kentucky Fried Chicken in Germany. And um, they were using a generative AI tool that, was, um, that could develop different um, promotions that they could put out there. And the data set that it was using was a calendar of holidays in Germany. And of course, then some promotional language like 5% off cheesy chicken, right? Um, and it, it, they got into trouble because there, there was a lot of social media messaging that was just put out there generated by the generative AI. And the message was um, uh, happened on November 9th, which is the anniversary of Kristallnacht, which is considered the beginning of the Holocaust. And the, and the promotion was, you know, enjoy $5 off a cheesy chicken to celebrate the, the night of broken glass. And I, you know, and so I, I think that the issue is, is that we begin to put so much trust <laughs> into these um, tools that we. Think of them as human or the equivalent of human intelligence, and that you know we just take it for face value, and we don't have that human uh, intervention with those critical thinking skills, and um, and that's where harm could be done um, to the end users. Um, so I, I just really think it comes back to that cobotting example that we've talked about, and again the, the you know the need for leaders to really be reflective and strategic in how they um, execute it. It's not just about learning how the right prompts to ask gpt chat to get a particular output
0: it was another example of that uh at at, uh, at a, i think it was at a college uh they put out a press release and at the bottom of the email it said you know generated by chat gpt or something i mean so the, a human you've all talked about humans uh, being involved with the technology, you know, a human hadn't even scanned it to, to know to take that that credit line off the off the email. So you know, like blind usage.
3: That's an interesting um, thing too to think about. Like, um, do I disclose? <laughs> like, if I if I was writing a post or an article and I went to GPT chat to, to like because I needed to get it from a thousand words to seven hundred fifty words and I could ask it you know too long didn't read <laughs> uh, stand by for some text please reduce uh, from a thousand words to seven hundred fifty words um, which I actually have used but I I don't take a cut and paste I I actually sat and compared what it how did it, how did it change the language and one thing I did notice is it took out any sentences that had a lot of personality to them and it transformed it into this very generic kind of text, you know? So again, it requires a human editorial oversight, if you will.
4: George, you want to talk about uh, risks, downsides? Yeah, I would say this is more of a, a bigger picture risk that I see as the net result of we're talking about GPT tools being built into everything we use. One is that, you know, if, if you are using it blindly, you are the product. Uh, you're mm-hmm. handing over information. Uh, there was an actual open AI hack, well, a hack or data leak where all of the conversations that were being uh, stored on the side were accidentally shared and open. And so I think that's something to be aware of. Bigger picture, I am watching very closely the impacts of chat-first search. Chat-first search, Bard, and Bing... Bard is Google's AI, that is now rolled out out of their private into a public beta, is going to destroy organic traffic for information-based searches to nonprofits inside of what I believe is the next two years. The second-order effects of that are so many that we would need several podcasts to understand, but I'm no longer telling clients that we should expect more organic traffic next year versus this year.
0: You experienced this with your own, with the whole whale site. You, you had, you had, uh, you did a search and it gave, and the, the search tool gave you back some of your whole whale content. It did credit it, but then your concern was that that credit was purely optional, but, right? You, you experienced this with your own, with your own intellectual property.
4: I'm watching it across a lot of uh, of it. You know, we get roughly 80,000 a month in terms of monthly users looking for information that we put out there. I test what that looks like when I do similar searches on Bing as well as perplexity.ai and now Bard. The thing that scared me the most is that Bard just sort of decided not to even bother with the footnotes uh, in its current iteration and just gave the answer to one of. Uh, several uh, articles that drive significant traffic to our site. There are two types of traffic that SEO is providing. It is informational and then transactional. And so for the informational, I would encourage your organization to do some of these sample searches and begin to plan accordingly. And it makes me a little sad that that part of nonprofits' ability to be a part of the conversation when somebody's asking for, I don't know, information about, PrEP and HIV information, uh, or something about LGBTQ rights, uh, history, doesn't get you engaged with the organization, it just gives you the answer. And there's something missing there that I I think is going to have negative downstream impacts for social impact organizations.
0: And you expect to see declines in- There will be a
4: decline. significant declines. And that's concerning to me because it's cutting nonprofits out of the conversation that they have traditionally been a part of when people are looking for information. And especially in a time where we're going to have a rapid increase in disinformation because these tools can be used to create that at scale.
0: We already have enormous disinformation. It's hard to imagine it growing exponentially or logarithmically. Um, I'm interested in what you all think about my concerns, uh, executive summary, that it will make us dumber. My, my, the, my reasoning behind that is that a lot of what we're suggesting, not just us here today, but a lot of what is being suggested is that you know it's, it's a tool, generative AI is a good tool for a first draft. Uh, Beth, you mentioned the, the blank screen syndrome, but to me, writing that first draft is the most creative act that we do in writing or in composing. It could be music. And My concern is that if, we, if we're seeding that most creative activity away, and then we're reducing ourselves to editor or copy editor, not to, not to minimize the folks who make their living editing and copy editing, but it's not as creative a task for a human as sitting in front of that blank screen or that empty pad, for those of us who maybe start, maybe start with pen and paper. And, and then we're seeding the most creative activity away and reducing our role to editor, which is an easier job. Than starting from whole cloth, and so I fear that that will make us uh, a, a dumber, reduce our creativity, and I'm I'm saying you know generally mm. dumber. Um, you're all being so polite; you could have just jumped in, I, Beth. Raised you know your, I Beth, I, you raised I, I, your hand. I
3: was well. I I didn't want to just interrupt you <laughs> <I'm not playing laughs> I, or you challenge on. you, not, you I but I do it. want to challenge I you. you with, I agree with you, but I also disagree with you. Um, so. One piece of this, one thing that I worry about, and it might be um, science fiction, but I um, and I haven't yet seen uh, research on this, but I do know there's this thing called Google Brain. You may be familiar with it. Um, uh, you, you're trying to remember something and you can't remember it because you haven't uh, exercised your retrieval muscles from your brain. So, you go to Google and you start Googling to, to remember something. And it's a thing called Google Brain. And there was a study that showed that people who were using Google Maps or the other, or Apple Maps um, to navigate, um, it was making their geospatial skills less robust. Um, and so, sort of the recommendation is you don't want to completely lose your ability to navigate, that you should like get a map, get a, go back to a paper map. So, there's definitely some, and there is research around this that there's definitely when you're do, doing something in an analog way, if you're writing it down, it encodes into your brain in a different way than if you're typing it. So, the thing that I worry about with this is less about it being creative, uh, taking our creativity away, because I think if, uh, if you're trained as a prompt engineer, you could be trained to like brainstorm with it, right? In a way that sparks your creativity versus takes it away. But what I'm worried about is how does this affect? How will this affect the human brain? Um, you know, down the road, another decade or so. That if we're not using our brain skills of encoding information and retrieving information, and and it's like a muscle, you know, is that going to make us more at risk for dementia or Alzheimer's down the road? Um, I know it sounds crazy, but that's like the thing I worry about.
0: I don't think it's crazy. That, that's what I'm concerned about. I'm I'm concerned on a on a on a world level that we all collectively will will just not be as creative, and I'm calling that we'll be dumber. I, I don't think wrong? the amount of
1: creativity and innovation is sort of finite, and that if we use tools that we're no longer going. To be creative, I think um, we have computers now to help us draw, to help us um, write. We you know can write on a computer versus before we had to use you know, different paper. We had to only draw with a limited set of tools. When we got um, you know computer aided uh, graphics and more, we just had more different ways to see the world, more different ways to. Uh, to figure out what images we wanted to see and how we wanted to engage. Also someone who likes to write a lot, I'd I'd say I'm really grateful for my editors and the fact that their brains work different than mine do when I start writing. And so um, those skills are complementary. But I say that because I think that we will have to change sort of will evolve how we think, what we think about and how we work. But I think that is a different type of creativity, different types of innovation, rather than us just no longer being creative.
0: Yeah. No, I
2: I, think it's I, I
1: didn't, I, I, didn't
0: I didn't mean eliminate our creativity but reduce it uh, I'm not yeah
2: it's important Tony to stay out of these binary arguments of AI is so bad or AI is so good it is going to be a mix as technology always has been I was just reading a book the other day that talked about the introduction of moving pictures and how how appalled people were that you know they could see these images over and over again, right? And was going to take away all of people's creativity.
0: The same Um, thing with uh, when silent movies became talkies. You
2: you know, we do this every time. We are changing our brains. I'm not saying that we aren't. Um, However, there is going to be an explosion of creativity, of jobs we haven't thought of yet, of opportunities we haven't thought of, that comes out of this next chapter that we are just beginning now, and I think it's important to go into this with as much information as we can, cautiously again, but with a sense of um, with a sense of excitement and adventure as part of this, because something really, really interesting is about to unfold. And I, I just want to also affirm
3: what. Allison just said this kind of new creativity, and it was making me think of. um, I think it was about a year ago that Dali came out, which is the image generator um, that works by looking at at patterns and pixels of images that are on the internet, um, and and uh, creates something new based on your uh, response. And I know, um, and and I heard an artist talking about this, like you know, there's this whole debate about you know, should is it it, it, it are tools like Dolly that are analyzing pixel patterns in images created by real artists? Are they stealing their work um, without their consent or without their compensation? Or is it, or is it this like creative thinking tool? So I, you know, I was messing around and I have a uh, a black and white Labrador party, <laughs> you know, a Labradoodle party, black and white guy, and so I I asked it, you know, create a a uh, image of a black and white party labradoodle surfing a wave in the style of Hokusai, and it generated four Um, images in the style of Hokusai, some of them were silly, some of them were, oh, this is really interesting. And it prompted me, oh, what would it do if I asked it to do this in the style of Van Gogh or the style of Monet? And then I started getting all these other ideas about things that I wanted to do before I knew it. I had a thousand different images of a black and white party (laughs) Labradoodle doing all kinds of things uh, that I wouldn't even have thought of if I hadn't seen like the response that it gave me from the first one. Um, But so, is that different than if I were to, if I just did a brainstorm with myself about what I could draw, if I could draw anything, or is this aided creativity? Yeah. It's much in the different. way that an artist would go out, you know, and look at landscapes for inspiration.
2: Yeah. Now,
0: one place one we're
2: well, in a lot of trouble, Tony, is the fact that our policymakers are so far behind on AI, right? We're going to have... Enormous copyright issues. We have enormous ethical issues coming up of when AI should be used in policing. Uh, the, the Department of Defense is experimenting right now with completely automated lethal drone weapons. Is that really who we want to be? That we have robots killing people without any human oversight um, on the ground at all, or or in you know some some headquarters uh, at all. There are really profound policy issues that we should be talking about right now, and we are way behind on those.
0: George, you want to comment on the uh, role of government or, or push back on my.
4: Uh, they, the role I... of government is beyond my pay grade, if I'm honest, um, you know. I'll, I'll stick to my scope. I will say, though, Tony, in 2004, podcasting became a thing, new technology. Before that, there were gatekeepers there, and I think you've done very well as, like, as far as I know, the longest-running podcast for nonprofits. Like, it opens up new opportunities. There are over 2 million images created on Dolly per day, and that was back in October. So I'm willing to bet it has increased the output. You know, at um, and on a personal level, like, it has increased my output, and I have, you know, had, had a lot of fun building and working with it and as it you know, unblocks me uh, for, for the new creation of content. Undeniably, though, the, the way we use tools then shapes the way we change. And I, and I do agree, there is a, a, n- a depth of knowledge potentially lost in being able to simply say, write me an article about this thing and then I tweak it as opposed to that part of learning and approach. And I think academia is um, really reeling from how to teach this next generation. And I'm, I'm curiously watching how they train the next generation of people coming into the workforce on it.
0: You all gave, well, let me say, you all gave, uh, you're, you're all optimistic about, you're, you're, you're all probably more optimistic. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm skeptical. I'm just concerned. I'm just concerned about the, the, the dumbing down of the culture and the culture meaning the world. Yeah, Yeah, I know one thing we did in in our culture. (laughs) I know, in our our, culture
2: get Tony. What did you say, (laughs) Allison? What I said. Have you seen our culture? How much dumber can it get? (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) we're we're starting at a pretty low level. That's that's how bad (laughs) I think it could get. Uh, Yeah, Afua.
1: Yeah, I I just wanted to um, just emphasize because I don't think we spent enough time on one of Allison's last points about the. Um, the copyright issues, the ownership issues, even as uh, the data economy sort of has exploded since the age of big data was declared, um, we have created systems that really extract from certain people, some certain populations, historically marginalized populations, rather than enable and empower these same populations whose data we then rely on, or I should say, Uh, corporations in general, sometimes, oftentimes, nonprofits as well. Um, And that is just um, increased at scale with generative AI, with AI more broadly, right? And that um, you know, especially with generative AI and the things that scrape the, the whole internet of things that people put out there, no longer, as George put, uh, mentioned, no longer attru- uh, attributing sources, no longer pointing to source material, no longer giving credit to people, uh, same with artists and musicians and others. Um, I I think that is a huge issue. And I think one, um, from an ethical perspective, ethical perspective, especially for nonprofits, whose mission is to empower um, marginalized communities if that's a particular nonprofit's mission. It's a big question to consider of how and when should you use generative AI systems that do not um, attribute uh, information um, and don't sort of close that loop back to the people who powered the systems.
0: All right. I don't know if that's
1: a positive note, but... It's a note to end. That was, more, that
0: was more mixed and positive, but uh, great. You no, know, valuable points. You know, g- great promise um, with potential uh, catches and leadership. The importance of leadership and and proper usage and all. Yeah. All right. Thanks to everybody.
2: Okay. Thank you, Tony.
0: Afua Bruce. You'll find her on Twitter at afua underscore bruce. She's principal of ANB Advisory Group. Allison Fine, president of every.org, where there are fires to put out. You'll find Allison on LinkedIn. Beth Cantor at BethCantor.org. And George Weiner, CEO of Whole Whale, Wholewhale.com. And George is on LinkedIn. Thanks, everybody. Thanks very, very much. Next week, what power really sounds like using your voice to lead. And using your executive skills. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by DonorBox. With intuitive fundraising software from DonorBox, your donors give four times faster. Helping you help others, DonorBox.org. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great.